Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Thanks for coming out. I know that uh, that you're going to like today. You're going to love today. And um, like I said, if you if you weren't here last night, go back and listen. It's uh, pretty phenomenal. Um, with that, I'm not going to go with a big introduction because I know that there's a Skip's got a, a Skip Chip's got a. I was so afraid I was going to do that. I know so many skips and not enough chips, except for Cheetos and Fritos. I know those chips. Uh, anyways, I'm not going to do a big introduction like I did last night, but all I can tell you, all I can tell you is, is you're going to, you're going to be blown away. It's, it's going to be good. It's going to be in a good way. All right. No tornadoes. All right. So without further Going down this road, um, I want to I want to invite uh, Cowboy Church welcome to Pastor Chip Brim. Come on up. He he is worthy of double honor. Thank you. <laughs> wow, wow. Thank you. Was that from your heart or? You just did it because you're obeying or what? Well, just for time, I've got to get this word in, so I'm going to get right at it. Candace and I, Candy and I, I'm Chip, but she's Candy. Anyway, God's got a sense of humor. We pastor a church north of Tulsa. When the pandemic hit, I mean when the pandemic hit, (laughs) did I say that Okay, all right. When it hit, <clears throat> Candy and I got on our knees and got along with God and said, uh, Lord, this country and this thing, there's, there's some weird stuff happening we don't know and we trust you and so we only want messages that, from heaven. And we went after that. We got on our faces and, and if we don't get a message from heaven, then we won't even go to the pulpit. We'll just pray and, and so we did that. And here they came. And as a result, this is the first one that came from heaven. So this is not from man. So I'm, this is straight from heaven. And this is what God has need of right now, of what's going on and where we're at, at the time we're living. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you know, but I coached. I coached on every level. I coached on high school, college, and professional baseball. Many championships. I was the youngest guy to, to hit 500. I was going for 500. The media was after on wins. A lot of uh, interviews I've had, they've asked me, which did you enjoy the most, coaching high school, college, or professional? And it's easy. It was high school because of the love of the game. You get into college, and, and then there's there's some love of the game. It gets a little bit more political and different things happen. But pros, you know, you got agents and money and blah, blah, blah. And it's uh, it's different. But high school... It's the love of the game. And there is a um, certain high school that I coached at. As of right now, Hollywood has the script. Whether it happens, I don't know. But I flew out there and met with them. And and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this team. I was later, I'm going to fast forward. I was on a plane to New York City. And I'm sitting and a guy in front of me has got a USA Today. He's got it open to the sports page. Almost holding it up like he wants me to read it. One of those deals. So, okay, I'll get what, what's, you know, I'm reading. 
And it said the top nations, the top high school programs in America in baseball, the top ten ever. And I was reading the list because, you know, I coached high school baseball as well. And there the team was that I coached at number five. So we were the fifth best program in the history uh, of high school baseball. Now, but it didn't start that way. And when I uh, <clears throat> took that job, nobody really wanted the job. The the, pro, the facilities were terrible, and um, and so I took the job. And for whatever reason, maybe it was because of this being led by God. And and the superintendent said, "Well, good luck because you're going to have to rebuild." And I said, "Well, I don't believe in rebuilding. I believe in winning." Uh, and so he said, well, good luck with that. Cause that ain't going to happen for a while. And I go, why, why do you say that? And he said, well, eight of the nine starters last year are seniors. So they're gone. And the one who was left coming back, he transferred out. So he's gone. You have nobody coming up that has any experience whatsoever to play. They're all the little brothers. Nobody knows them. They hadn't had any experience. They hadn't played. They hadn't set foot, pitched, hit nothing. So good luck is what I'm talking about. And I said, well, if I find 11 guys that go with me, we'll get it done. And so I spread the word out, everybody, new coach, you know, going to go out for baseball. And and, uh, and I told him, I said, if I can find, you know, nine guys that will give me everything they got, we'll, uh, we'll win it all. We'll win state. And he laughed at me. So we go out there, and we're I'm working them, and I'm working them, and I'm working them. And they all happened to be small. I didn't inherit, you know, any big guys. So I nicknamed them the Smurfs. And it was funny, and they called me Papa Smurf, whatever. But they worked hard, and they were good, and, and, and they started quitting, 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 quitting. And I got down to 11, because I worked them hard. I mean, we went all in. And so uh, I'm down to 11. Now, I don't know if you know this, but baseball has nine on the field. So when there's nine on the field, <clears throat> how many's in the dugout with me? Okay, good. You got the math part now. And they're even smurfier than the others. <laughs> now, when you inherit a really small team, you don't have all small uniforms. And you don't get rid of the extra larges and the larges because you'll have a bubba come in every once in a while. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, so the mamas and the grandmas had to do a lot of tuck and roll and, you know, sewing and different things. And we didn't intimidate anybody when we got off the bus. Or I remember one time driving the bus, looking up in the mirror, thinking I left them. And then I hit a bump and I saw the heads pop up. So that didn't really happen. But, but you get the picture. Little, not intimidating. But I had 11 left. And I mean, these 11 would do anything for me. And so... We go to the end of the year, try to fast forward, and we get to the state tournament. That's the last eight. That's the final eight in the state of Oklahoma. And we made it to the eight. We were unranked all the way. We're the little brothers. Nobody knew our names. We were never ranked all year. But we get there. And we win our first game. Now we're in the semifinals. We're got one game away. Now we're playing the team that has won it four years in a row. This is the team that has uh, a dugout, probably <laughs> a nation. They had... Probably 50 guys on their roster. And they had some bubbas on their roster. And they had some extra larges and larges in the whole bit. And they had, 
And they were going for their fifth in a row. And here we were. Nobody knew our names. And we're the underdogs and we're there. And and this team run ruled everybody. This team hadn't lost in two years, I think. This They were going for their fifth state title in a row. Hadn't lost in two years. And here we were. And we're playing them and we're going at it. And they get a lead on us. And we come back and we tie it up. And now, they've run-ruled everybody, and that means Mercy really got to stop the game. It's, it's, the score is too big. And, um, so we're, we're, <laughs> we actually, uh, with two innings left to go in the state semifinals, pull ahead of them. Now, this is enough, they hadn't had this in, in, in years. So their coach calls a timeout and says, what do you got? And he's screaming at him. Would you look at who's beating you? Look at who's beating you! And he points over at us. And the whole crowd can hear this. And I just said, smile and wave, boys. <laughs> and it came back and forth. They tied it. We came back to the last inning. And then I had my shortstop, who was literally a shortstop. <laughs> and I sent him on a hit. On the, and he slides into the plate. And if he's safe, we beat him, knock him off. It would be the um, upset of the of, of, of the history in that state. Uh, but he was called out, and they later scored, and we lose. Now, we go in the locker room. i got to do a press conference, uh, which is from Satan. That was his idea. Interview the lo- losing coach. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I knew Mom was watching on TV. and so We're there, and, and I'm mad, and I get through the press conference, and I go into the – now, this was held at a college, and I go into the locker room, and I'm mad. And I'm not mad at the boys. I'm mad at the, the result. I'm, I'm upset at the result because that was our tro. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna go through our parade. They're gonna get our rings. They're gonna get our, what we did. That that's and this is not good enough for me. Now, this speech that I gave, I can't give it to you word for word. All the Smurfs can. As a matter of fact, it's on a plaque in the school with the team picture. And so I give this and I said, this ain't good enough. This is not good enough. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. And my shortstop stands up, gets on a chair, and he says, listen, nobody thought that we would get here. Look at us. Nobody knew who we were. We were one play away, one play away from beating the team that nobody can even come close to. This is where the instrumental music begins. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway. And he said, coach, and he turned to me. And this is the moment that when I was on that plane and I saw that number five, that we were the fifth and we had left this legacy that's still there today. And I said, I remember the moment when it happened. And it was in that locker room. And he said two words to the remaining uh, ten that were there. And he looked at me and he said, Coach, I'm all in. Somebody say all in. Two words. And he turned to the other players and he said, are y'all all in or not? And he knew, they all knew what he meant. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to reach this. We're going to do it. That's where the legacy, that's where it began. And we all got together and we put our hands there. And I remember saying to them, your mamas are waiting outside, your grandmas, your aunts, your sisters are all waiting outside, and they're going to love on you and hug on you and tell you, way to go, you did a good job, but that's not good enough. I said, your daddy's going to be mad, (laughs) 
But, but we had that all-in moment where we were in that locker room and we all began to smile. We knew that's when it happened. I'm on that plane years later going, that's when it happened, when we had the all-in moment. And we left that locker room and we're coming out of there smiling. And oh, everybody's kind of shocked. Why are you smiling? <laughs> we made a commitment. We did it. It's, we're, we're, we're well on our way to becoming who we already are. And I mean, we worked them and I worked them. And I mean that next year in the off season, they're throwing up and I'm reminding them of that moment that we said we're all in and they're wiping, you know, that throw up off. And I mean, I'm running them and we're doing this and we worked and worked and nobody worked harder than us. And we cruise on into the state tournament and we run rule the first team. We run rule the second team. Now we're going into the finals. And I'm on the bus and I'm getting ready to make a speech and a hand comes up and he said, I said, yeah. And he said, coach, uh, we got together last night and prayed. And I said, oh no. <laughs> and I said, you can't pray for a victory like that. You can't pray to win. God's not going to count how many Christians on our, on each side. They've got Christians over there on their team. And you know what I'm saying? You can pray for protection. You can pray to play the best of your ability. You can pray for things like that. But you can't pray to have God for you to win that game. You've got to be prepared and do the best you can and, and, and pray that he blesses you and help you, and he will. Oh, no, no, we didn't pray for that. We know we're winning. We prayed that we would play that team that was going now for their six that beat them last year so they would win so that we played them and they did and God answered our prayer. They wanted to play them. So we go out there and here we're playing them. They're going for their six. They haven't lost. This is the team. And here we are with the Smurfs and we're out there and we're in the state finals. 10,000 people are watching this baseball game. It's on three channels. It's packed out. You can't hardly even hear. And we, we get after it. I mean, we are, we're, we're letting them have it. It was 15 to nothing after three innings. They hadn't been beaten three years. We're beating them so bad. And so all of a sudden, the, I, I smell this smell, this smelly smell that smells smelly. Because when you're in, <laughs> when you're in a dugout in a baseball, you smell grass, you smell the popcorn from the concession, you smell dirt and whatever. You don't smell this cologne. Well, anyway. The uh, presidents and everything of the, the, the association came down and they were wearing some kind of, I don't know what cologne, but, and they said, Chip, you got to lay off. You got to back off. There's no run rule in the finals. We can't call this game. And so I'm looking at all the Smurfs and I'm thinking of all the work they did and the commitment that we made. And I said, well, then, uh. I'm not backing off. They said, well, this will cost you the coach of the year. This will cost you any kind of, we'll blackmail, we'll put you on a blacklist. All of these things are coming. My Smurfs are sitting there watching me. I said, well, do what you got to do. But we're, if it's going to be a hundred and nothing, we're going to win a hundred and nothing. If we're going to, we may be playing tomorrow. <laughs> and the co and my Smurfs go, yeah, I'll hit him, coach. And I go, I'm not hitting him. And so we, we're, we're in the twenties now. We're just destroying them. And it was, you know, this was just an amazing thing that people couldn't believe it. So I smell the smelly smell again that smells smelly. And they came back down and they said, coach, uh, the other team is forfeited. They want to stop the game. They want to quit. It's never happened in the history of that state that the other team quit. 
Who quit? The giant quit. We were beating them so bad that they quit. We won that year. We won the next year. We won the next year, the next year, the next year, and the next year. If you walk down that hallway of that school, you will walk past 32 state championship trophies. And you will walk to the very middle of it where it began, and there's a plaque with the picture of me and the Smurfs. That's where it began. Now with that, those two words, I'm a history guy. And I found out that Washington, George Washington had Smurfs. Now, what am I talking about? God, uh, my, my mom gives me this book called Indispensables. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's an amazing book you ought to read. It's called Indispensables, and it's about these a group of soldier mariners and 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 who shaped the country. They founded the the first navy. They they formed the first secret service. They performed the Boston Tea Party, and more importantly, they're the ones who rode Washington across the Delaware in the middle of the night in that icy cold weather. It was them. Now, this is a group, and they were called Marbleheaders. It was a group of men called Marbleheaders. They were the toughest, bravest, most courageous men known in history. That was a remark by George Washington. Why were they called Marbleheaders? Because they lived in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Why are you telling us about this? Because I'm flying to Boston to preach at a message. Mom gives me this book. I'm reading it on the flight. My wife Candy's with me. And we're reading about Marbleheaders who rode Washington across the Delaware. And he recruited them because they were all in guys. And so I'm reading this book, getting inspired. Candy's reading it. We're reading it together. They were, the reason why they were so tough and so brave and why, uh, Washington heard about them is because they would fish the northern Grand Bank for this fish. They they had their industry. Marblehead was bigger. Marblehead, Massachusetts was bigger than Boston was as far as money and industry and income and trading because they had this great fish. And they would go to the north banks and they would fish these treacherous waters in these little bitty boats. And they would catch this fish that everybody in the world wanted. And they would trade for this fish because it tasted so good. But they would lose a 100 men a year. Are you all understanding what I'm talking about? 100 men a year would die because the, the waters were so treacherous and the storms would come in. But they all signed up. They did. They knew it since they were little boys. And they grew up knowing they're going to be a marbleheader. They're going to be a fisherman. They're going to go to the North Grand Banks and fish for this. And they... And so what happens is Washington hears about these guys. And so Samuel Adams tells him about them. And so he recruits him, he recruits them to row them, to row him over the Delaware in the middle of the night because he knows they won't be afraid. They're not afraid to die. He knows that they are all in and that's why Washington recruit them. Now, I do some more reading in there and it says they were an average five foot five. A stocky built. John Glover is the head of the Marbleheaders. And so, but this is a quote from George Washington. The bravest, most courageous men I've ever been around. And without them and their fighting spirit for freedom, we would never know victory in this country. These men were truly all in. They were all in for our country. Up to the place where if we die, we die. 
All in. I coached boys who became men who were all in. And a legacy has been left. There's something about it. And so Candy and I are going, oh my God, we're flying to Boston. Where's Marblehead? We look it up. It's 15 miles away. Oh, that means 15 minutes. Not in Boston. (laughs) An hour and a half later, it took us an hour and a half to go 15 miles. Anyway, we get there. We're on a mission from God. We see all their houses and the the same houses are there. We go to the... uh, Cemetery, we're praying, praying in the spirit. We're praying, God, what do you want? God, what do you want? And all of a sudden, it starts coming down. And the most beautiful cemetery on this bay in, in, in the New Englands, I mean, it was beautiful. And we're praying, and there was the monument for the Marbleheaders that hardly nobody in our history books talks about. And if it wasn't for these men, we wouldn't have freedom today. Every one of them knew them. All of our forefathers knew about them. The Marbleheaders. The short little Marbleheaders. Who were all in. And if it was, wasn't for them, we wouldn't have freedom today. And I said, my God. And so we're praying. And all of a sudden, Candy and I, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us. And we prayed. And the Lord said, it's time for my people. I want that Spirit back in my people. And it came out, and we prayed it, and we prayed it, and we prayed it. And he said, I want that spirit back in the church. You know what he told Joshua, what he told Joshua when Moses, my servant, is dead? What did he say? Be strong and courageous. What's the opposite of strong? Weak. What's the opposite of courageous? Cowardly. No, God needs strong and courageous Christians. You know what God needs? Christians who are All in. But we're going to talk about what all in means. You want to know what all in means? These are some of the same things and just different, just different words that I would say to my team. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't die for us to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Somebody say all in. Faithfulness is not holding down the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. Say all in. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. Say all in. in. Going all in for God is not radical, but it's normal. All All in. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Why are you a Christian? Why are you born again? Just to show up at church? God's got a plan. The dark is getting darker. The perilous times are coming. But the church is going to rise up. Because God's got a people. And these are people. We're in a locker room right now, Smurfs. Why are we doing this for? Just to go through the motions. It's time to go all in. And all in means what? All in. That means no self. That means not enthroning yourself. It's not about your desires and it's not about your plans. Are you with me or not? That's called self-centric. It's called not Christ-centric. Centered. It's less about you serving his purposes and more about him serving your purposes. It's called inverting the gospel. Now listen, this is a term that's real that has gotten into the church. 
inverting the gospel. What is that? Everybody listening right now? If you're not getting anything, get this. Thinking you're following Jesus, but in reality, you have invited Jesus to follow you. That's called inverting the gospel. And the church is full of them. They don't know what it means to go all in. Thinking you're following Jesus, but in reality, you've invited Jesus to follow you and your plans. Inverting the gospel is to call him Savior, but not surrender to him as Lord. That was me for 35 years. And then he said, are you seeking me? And those who came last night heard my testimony. That was my all-in moment. He was asking me if I'm all in or not. And I made a commitment with God. And I went all in. That was now or never. It Was it easy? No. Was it gut-wrenching? Yes. Did I ever second-guess it? Absolutely. But the adventure truly waited that followed when I went all in. You don't even realize what you're missing. That day was the day I stopped asking Jesus to follow me, and I decided to follow him. What did Jesus say every time he went up to one of the disciples? Follow me. Not me follow you. Not your plan come here. Follow me. You know what that means? All in. Let me ask you a question. Who's following who in your life? Who's following who? Are you following Jesus? Or have you inverted the gospel by inviting Jesus to follow you? Have you bought in but you haven't sold out? Over 120 years ago, there was a British revivalist. He issued a holy dare that would change the whole world. He's preaching this sermon and there was a man out there, a young man out there, and his ears heard this dare. And it was a dare and he took this dare on. And this was the dare that he preached that day. 120 years ago. The world has not yet seen. The, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man or woman who will fully and wholly consecrate himself. The world has not yet seen it. What does he mean consecrate? Go all in. And one set of ears heard that dare. It was D.L. Moody. Now, I don't know if you know anything about D.L. Moody. He took that dare, and before it was all said and done, his sermons contributed to one of the greatest spiritual awakenings this world has ever seen. And it's still going. I dare you the same dare today. The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through a man or woman who will go all in for him. Why not you? Why not now? Why not it be your day today? Of course it'll be a tough decision. Who said it wouldn't be? If you go all in, amazing things await you. John G. Lake, you ever heard of him? My mama, you gotta Google Billy Brim, you'll know about her. She, she was John G. Lake's daughter's great friend, almost best friends. 
John G. Lake wrote books. There was, he's the one back in the, with the bubonic plague where they, he said, put that bubonic plague in my hand. And they, and, and, now I didn't see anybody asking to put COVID in their hand. John G. Lake said, put it in my hand and put it under that microscope. And they did. And they watched it die immediately. Just died. He lived through that bubonic plague. He had over 200,000 documented healings. What's that mean? That means the doctors didn't know what to do. Hospitals had no cure. They would bring him to his meetings. The doctor would follow. He would lay hands. Documented healing. Over 200,000 where the doctors were there that documented it. He wrote a book. Guess what he called it? He didn't call it this. How to survive the bubonic plague. How to keep going and standing and, and not get burned out and old, you know, just, you know, keep, you know what the name of his book was? Adventures in God. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> now these, what, it's a plague? Man, you never lived until you, you've, you, you, you're, you've lived where you're not afraid to die. Paul said, death, you have no sting. Paul talked trash to death. But most Christians are afraid to die. That fear of death has got a hold of them. And they can't live and they can't go all in. Now, here's the problem. We're trying to do God's job for him. We want to do amazing things for God. And this seems noble, but it's backwards. Now listen to me. That seems very noble that you want to do great things for God, but it's backwards. That's not right. You need to read the Bible now. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Well, Chip, I want to do great things for God. God will do amazing things through you. You're trying to do his job. Don't you remember the scripture? His eyes are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. He'll show himself strong in the church today. Right now, the government seems to be running stuff, but it shouldn't be. It should be the church. The mobile headers of God. Amen. All in. It's our job. That's his job to show himself strong, not yours. Your job is consecration. Your job is to go all in. Your job is to give him everything you have. Your job is to put your hand in there and go, Coach, I'm in. No more self. No more just some of me. Here's some of me. I got some chips still back here. No, I'm all in. All chips on the table. You got me all. Let's go. My flesh is not going to like it. My mind's not going to like it, but here we go. That that legacy of and that movie that may be coming out, and I told him I'd only do it if, you know, Tom Cruise played me, or The, or the Rock, or The Rock. They mentioned Danny DeVito. I'm like, what? <clears throat> that happened... With two words, God sends us to Boston, to Marblehead, to learn about this and said, pray that spirit back in my people. 
Did I know that I was going to go to Greeley, Colorado? No. Did God? Absolutely. Did he know your ears were going to hear it today? And we will be face to face with him one day. And he's going to either say, well done. Somebody say done. He's not going to say, well said, my great orator. He's not going to say, well thought of, my great philosopher. It's either well done or not well done. And done means you did something. That's who's going to hear it. Those Smurfs and Marbleheaders who did something for God. They didn't hold back. They didn't hold back because of their age. They didn't hold back because they're too young or too old. They didn't get burned out. How can you get burned out in the presence of God? Oh, glory. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Are you sure? But I'm not qualified, Chip. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. (laughs) You should write that one down. All right. He's on it. All right. Before I tell you what going all in is, let me tell you what it's not. Now, don't leave after during this list. Don't get mad at me. But what I'm about to tell you is not going all in. Going to church once a week is not going all in. It's not. I'd be like my players just coming to practice and that's it. Nothing extra. We ain't going to do anything special. Doing your daily devotions. Keeping the Ten Commandments. Sharing your faith with friends. Tithing. Pastor's like, stop. No, I'm joking. These are not all in moves. These are good moves. These are good things. Volunteering in the nursery, leading a small connect group, raising your hands in worship. All these are great, but they're not full consecration. What are we talking about when we're talking about consecration, which the Bible talks about? The new word is all in today. It's more than a behavior modification. It's more than a conformity to a moral code or a list of rules. I don't want to pastor a church... And they go there because they're supposed to follow rules. It's more than just doing good deeds. Here's what I've been doing. Here's my list. Don't you remember my testimony? I said, God, here's my list. God was saying, I don't want the list. I want your heart. The Lord said to me, for the ones who weren't here, He goes, my defining moment, he said, are you seeking me? And I said, yes, Lord. And I gave him a list. And there's a whole bunch of Christians that will give him that list. This is what I'm doing to prove that I'm all in. He doesn't want the list. The list will follow. You'll even check out all that list and do more than the list. He wants your heart. He wants you to commit. Full go. Get self out. Sacrifice. Get that self. Die to that self. And go, God, here I am. Here I am. That's when the church is going to turn the corner and become the glorious church. That's the champion church. <laughs> That's what he's coming back for. Amen? But consecration or going all in is setting yourself apart. It's a full devotion. It's dethroning yourself and enthroning Christ. It's surrendering all of you, every second of you, every ounce of energy of you, every penny that you have, your time. Anything you can give him, you're going all in. 
It's an ever-deepening love for Jesus. It's a childlike trust in the Heavenly Father. It's a blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. And as a pastor, my greatest concern for my congregation is that they come to church every week of their lives and never have the opportunity or be told to go all in. I have to answer for that congregation and those sheep. And we're going to allow them and usher them and coach them into becoming to go all in. I'm not going to make it a place where they just follow rules but never follow Christ. I and my wife Candace will answer for that. The gospel has been cheapened. Listen to me. Now we may step on some toes. By allowing people to buy in without selling out. We've made it comfortable. We've made church convenient. We've given people just enough Jesus so they can get bored. What am I talking about? I'm talking about, there was a Danish philosopher and a theologian that said he believed that boredom was the root of all evil. He said boredom isn't, isn't just boredom, it's wrong. And so I was reading about him. And he said, you cannot be in the presence of God and be bored at the same time. He said, it's impossible. You cannot be in the will of God and be bored at the same time. It's impossible. You can't be seeking God and be bored at the same time. It's impossible. The choice is yours. Concentration, all in, or getting bored because that's coming. There are a lot of bored Christians. They're just bored where they're at. There's no excitement, there's no fire, there's no surge of holy adrenaline that comes through their veins when they decide to follow God. There's no passion. I'm passionate, I've been passionate for 60 years. (laughs) Well, you forgot to tell your face. Your face didn't get the memo. Well, us Johnsons, us Johnsons, we're, we're reserved people. I've seen passion. I've seen it on the professional level. I've seen it in fans who were sp- supposedly reserved, but passion would come on them and just take their shirts. I'm talking about men. Paint, paint the logos on their bellies. You've seen it with your husband in sports. Maybe some of you women. But where's the passion of the church today? Where's that surge of adrenaline in the body of Christ today? It's not there. It's not there like it should be. Oh, you see some. But God is coming back for a champion church. He's coming back with fire in his eyes and a, and a robe dipped in blood. He's coming back with an army. He told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be a champion. Get your head up. Get your chest up. Get your, come on now. I mean, this is the God and Jesus that we serve. He's not coming back for a wimpy church. He's coming back. He's not coming back for a second place church who wins a few and loses a few. He's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Have you made that commitment? Are you one just coming in and going out, coming in and going? Make that commitment to God. The adventure awaits you. Well, it just doesn't seem that exciting because you haven't committed yet. Now, Glory to God. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Or I can stop. When you look back on your life, 
Your greatest moments will always be because of consecration you went in. And things will become amazing. I made that decision. Boy, I have not regretted it. God has done some great things with me. It's as true today as it was the day when Abraham placed Isaac on the altar. Was that an all-in moment? That was an all-in moment. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. When David started to run towards the giant. Talk about a smurf. Talk about a marble header. And God was with him. So what they're giants. They're coming down. Are y'all hearing me or not? They're coming down. The church is rising up. And those giants are coming down. It's, it's going to happen right in front of your eyes. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to be in the boat when we cross the Delaware. I'll talk to George one day in heaven. I'll meet John Glover and the Marbleheaders there. We'll talk about those days. What will they ask you and talk about to you? They'll say, what did you do? What did you do for God? Oh, I went to church. What else? Well, some of you don't know what you're going to do, but God has a plan. And all he needs you to do is seek him with everything you've got. Amen. Amen. Paul and Silas in prison, midnight hour, chained up, praising and worshiping God. And God shows up on the, on the screen. I'm asking you to stay hungry. Is anybody hungry? I'm not talking about for food. I'm talking about <laughs> for God. I figured out this much. If you're not hungry, that's because you're full. Don't you believe that? Well, I already ate. I'm full. Well, if you're not hungry for God, that means you're full. If there is no hunger, you're full. Well, what are you full of? Yourself. If there's no hunger and passion there, you're full. Is anybody getting this or not? And that's why some of you are bored. Some of you are burned out. How in the world could a minister or a missionary or an evangelist or anybody be burned out? I hear it. How can you be burned out in the presence of God? It's impossible. Well, the church hurt me. Well, they don't represent the whole church who ever hurted you. Get over it. Amen. Forgive them. Go on. Be a different person today when you walk out of here than you when you walked in. Let go and let God do what he wants to do to reach your full potential. Now, in closing, here's what I'm going to say. Luke 9, 23 and 24. This is the NIV. Now, Jesus is going to find out to see who's all in and who's not all in. This is a speech. He Now I'm going to go to Scripture and show you where Jesus said to his disciples, we're going to find out who's all in or not. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. 
and take up their cross daily and follow me. Not follow you. Not follow your plan, follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever, whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now those disciples had to take those words literally. Do you understand that? The disciples that heard that with their ears, can I go through a list of how they died? Luke was hung by the neck. Doubting Thomas was pierced with a spear, tortured with red-hot plates, and burned alive. These are the ones that he was talking to, that are going to give up their lives, literally. And they said, okay. And they were burned and tortured. They were crucified. Philip was tortured and crucified and continued to preach while he was hanging on the cross. That's a marbleheader smurf to his death. Are y'all getting this or not? Matthew was stabbed in the back. Bartholomew was flogged to death. These are the ones who Jesus gave this speech to. James was thrown off the temple, then clubbed to death. Peter was crucified upside down upon his request. John was the only one to die of natural causes after surviving his own execution Trying to be boiled alive. Again, these disciples took it literally. All in. But we can take it figuratively. Are you with me? And die to ourselves. Is anybody getting this? If Jesus hung on his cross, we can certainly carry ours. And that isn't just our greatest responsibility. It's our highest privilege. Anything less than complete surrender of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is robbing God of the glory that he demands and he deserves. It's also cheating ourselves out of the eternal rewards that God has for us. It's time to become a smurf. It's time to become a marbleheader for God. To ante up and to go all in. Don't leave some chips on the side. Put them all in. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then Jesus is not Lord at all. It's all or nothing. It's now or never. Revelations twelve eleven says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, a lot of people leave out this part. And they loved not their lives unto death. Afraid to die. All in. I'm on that plane going to New York. I see that paper. I remember those Smurfs. Man, they gave me everything. They commit. I remember the day when it happened. It was a defining moment. And it changed their lives. They grew up to be... A lot of those guys became players of the year, all state, all American little guys going and getting college scholarships. Some of them being great businessmen, all of them being great fathers, now grandfathers. Now we have little Smurfs and grand Smurfs <laughs> that are hearing the story. Now there may be a movie coming out about it because of two words. After a defeat... 
and we made the commitment. You know what it did? It changed their lives. If I would have get sometimes when I preach, the Smurf will come into the meetings. They live everywhere. They're everywhere. Ones that I coached. And they'll be there and they'll come up. They'll come up. You won't see them, but they'll come up. And they'll uh, say every word of this is true. And they'll say how it affected their lives. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, Chip, I have need of that. I have need of that spirit in my people. Praise God. God's going to do some great things in these last days. The dark may be getting darker, but the light's going to get lighter. Amen. Do you believe that or not? God is looking for a place. He's looking for a people in Colorado. Sometimes our focus is on, oh, I got a little bit of time, right? I'm good? Just a little bit of time? Okay. I had to get my master's degree when you coach college baseball. And in philosophy 101, watch, this is one of the problems. The first day of, if, you know, we go in there and the professor puts this screen, this huge screen. There's about 250 of us in there. And there's a round circle and a black dot in the middle of that screen. And this huge white space and just a black dot. And he asks us, he says, okay, psychology, I'm sorry, I said philosophy, psychology 101. He said, what does everybody see? We raised our hand, a black dot, a black circle. I said, man, if this is what psychology is, I'm going to pass this class. I'm already acing this. You got a black dot up there, sir. (laughs) Give me the A and let's move on. He said, I'll ask you again. What do you see up there? Everybody, 250 students. The black dot, a black circle, a round form. What definition? And he said, none of you, none of you gave me the answer of what was the dominant image on that page. And the dominant image on that page was white space. Every one of you focused on the black dot. And the Lord reminded me of that and he said, the white space is my goodness and my presence and my promises and my word and the blessings of God. But we tend to talk about and to meditate about the black dot. And we miss the whole picture. Are y'all with me or not? And there's black dots in your life. You need to get off that black dot. Quit thinking about what did Paul say? Don't think about these things. Think about the good things. Think about the good report. Philippians 4, 9. Think about the good things. Not the bad things, the good things. And we'll talk about what the bad and what the, it's happening in Colorado and the government or this or that. But I'm here to tell you, God's going to do something mighty in marble headers in a church. Why not this church? Why not? Take a hold of it spiritually. Plead the blood of Jesus. Use your authority at the right hand of the Father. And drive all those demons away. Get rid of them. 
Let's go. Let's rise up, church. It's time to rise up. It's time to be the people that God called us to be. Quit playing, church. Quit being bored with church and go all in. Amen. Somebody say all in. Glory to God. Now, I'm just going to ask you this with every head bowed and every eye closed. If this, this something has stirred you up, something in your spirit has stirred you up, and, 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 and you're like, God, this is, God, I hear it. God, I'm hearing it. God, I hear it. You sent this message for me. God, I want to make that commitment. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I, I just want to make a step of faith and I want to do that right now. I don't want to wait a second. I don't care what my neighbor to my right or left thinks. I'm just ready to make this commitment and do what you called me to do. If that's you, raise your hand. Nobody looking. Just raise your hand. Glory to God. Hands everywhere. My God, he's doing something. Something is about to happen. Now everybody look up at me. I used to do this because I just didn't want to hurt any smurse feelings in church. Now I wasn't that way when I coached. <laughs> but mama taught me, she said, Chip, there's something about taking a step of faith. She said a lot of times if you just let them raise your hands and be safe back there, they'll continue to be safe and they'll go on being in their safe little circle. But there's something about taking a step of faith. It gets them out of their zone. It makes them, it, it, it puts faith into action and, and all of a sudden they're making a, a move that they haven't moved before. So I'm asking you, if you raise your hand, I want you to boldly in front of everybody take a step of faith and commit your all-in commitment in front of your pastor, in front of your friends, in front of God, in front of all of heaven. I want you to come up here right now if you raise your hand. Come on, Smurfs. Come on, Marbleheaders. Come on, let's go. No lines. Just get up here wherever. You can get on the steps, on stage. I don't care. But we're going to do it together. Now, I want you to know there is a cloud of witnesses that are watching us right now. How many's got some relatives up there in heaven? Have you got a mama or daddy or a grandma or gam-gams? Or <laughs> you got a brother? He's watching. We have interviewed people that have been to heaven and back. Mom's written books about it. And those people who are in the great cloud of witnesses know what happens to you if it is if it is regarded spiritually. They don't know if you got a new truck. They don't know if you got a new job. They don't know about things like that. But when it's a spiritual thing, they know it. So I'm here to tell you, you got loved ones that are watching you right now make this commitment. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they're all with them. The whole great army of God in heaven is watching. And they see that you're making this commitment now. Your pastor is here. He's not judging. He's not going to judge anybody. It's between you and God. But we're going to boldly do it before him. And we serve you. And we love you. And we're not critical of this place. We're going to walk in love and we're going to walk in unity together. Because that's what churches do. That's what teams do together. And so, Lord, raise your hands right now and receive this. Praise God. Say, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours. Myself is out. I die to myself. I am your smurf. I'm your marbleheader. I commit myself today. I'm going to seek you and trust you and follow you. And I repent 
if I've asked you to follow me. And I receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Now, if anything has happened, if you've sinned right before you came up, all of that's been wiped out. Get your focus on the white space, not the black dots. Will there be black dots in your life? Yes, but don't be live a critical life. Don't live, live a life where you go, look at this black dot, look at this black dot. What did you hear about the black dot? Did you hear? Stop it. Stop it. That's not where champions go. We don't read the paper. We don't listen to ESPN. We don't do those things when they're talking bad about. We continue to focus on God and His greatness and His goodness. And we only let good come out of our mouths, not bad. We only let praise and love come out of our mouths. Amen? That's what champions do. Champions talk differently. They don't talk negative. They're not negative. They don't say if we win, they say when we win. Blessed people don't persecute them. Quit. Stop with the gossiping. Stop with the online stuff being critical of everything. Champions don't do that. They don't do that against their brothers. Whoever that is, stop that. And get all in for God. Do you think Jesus would get online and be critical about a church or this or that? He wouldn't do it. He would pray for that pastor. He would bless him. He wouldn't be critical. No critical spirits. Amen? And that's where we're headed. And I believe with all my heart that God's going to do something in this church. He's doing it already. And a legacy, a legacy is beginning, not only in this church, but in your lives. What legacy will you leave behind? And Lord, I just pray a blessing over them. Lift your hands and receive it. I plead the blood over them that this word will never go void. All in will be in their spirits from here until Jesus comes or they go. They're going to be in heaven one day. And Jesus, was Jesus all in for us? Come on now, answer that question. He was all in to the death. And so we're committing right now to be all into you. Lord, this is the same as in that Smurf locker room. Here we are together. And we're having our defining moment. And God, you know, you knew when this moment was going to come. And so we're making that commitment and we don't, we're not ashamed of it. And we thank you, Lord, that you will help us. Holy Spirit, angels, I charge you to help these people. And the blood will protect them. And we're going to arise and shine for the glory of the Lord will be seen upon us. In Jesus name. Amen. Somebody give me an all in. Give me a woo! woo! Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Pastor, come on.